dismissed for junior church. In the early service, I said to the people, congratulate yourselves, you set your clocks ahead. So I thought, oh, they got a laugh, and I thought, okay, that's kind of cool. So in the second service, I said, congratulate yourselves, because you uh, set your clocks ahead. And one person sitting right here in the front goes, uh, I really wanted to be here an hour ago. So anyway, I didn't say it this service, because... You're not going to be in the next service. Okay. This morning, we are looking at a subject that I will tell you overwhelmed me. Very seldom do I start on a sermon and I get so overwhelmed by the amount of information that's in the Bible about that subject. This whole idea of thou shalt not steal is overwhelming. I'm not joking. Last night, I had 24 pages of notes. And very little of it was anything that I wrote. It was simply reference after reference after reference of where the Bible talks about the whole concept of stealing or robbing or any of those things that we will look at this morning. So, you will find that this is a thumbnail sketch of what is in the Bible. I believe this command deals with the whole idea that God has given us the ability and the right to have personal property and have dignity. And personal property is not limited to material things, things that you can get your hands on. It is actually also intellectual property also. And so without, if, if you don't have the right to personal property or intellectual property, uh, stealing makes no sense because it's everybody's. I will tell you, in case you didn't figure this out yet, the Bible is not based on socialism or on communism where everybody has everything together. I've lived for three and a half weeks in an Indian tribe in the Amazon basin in... Brazil, and I can tell you they didn't know the name of Jesus. They did not have a Bible in their name at that point. They hadn't been taught the gospel. But I can tell you one thing. They had their little coffee can in the top of their house, which wasn't much of a house. It was kind of like a canopy. Uh, You better not take that. That's theirs. They didn't need to tend to commandments because God put in our minds the whole idea that we have a conscience. So they didn't. We don't kill each other. Uh, That's taboo anywhere you go. Stealing is taboo. Uh, Messing around with somebody else's wife is pretty much taboo also. So the whole point is that as we look at the commands, we don't live under them. But these principles have been alive and well long before the commandments. And they are absolutely alive and well now. And the standard has been raised. The standard is much higher than it had been Uh, in the Old Testament. And so, I believe that the whole concept and this commandment brings stability to any society or any civilization, any country, any family, any community. Why? Why do I believe that? Well, first of all, we have been given or we have worked for those things that make it possible for us to leave, leave, live, that we can buy food, clothing, shelter, and those kinds of things. God has allowed us to accumulate wealth so that we can do those things. 
It also gives us the opportunity, if we choose, that we can pass riches of some sort or possessions onto our heirs. It could be, the heirs could be our family, it could be an organization or, you know, whatever you might want to leave your possessions to. It can also be used for the Lord's work. Just think about that. If somebody steals something, they could be stealing something you plan to give to the Lord. So it brings stability there. And, and you might think, oh, I don't know if the pastor should say this, but you know what? It's okay to use it for your own pleasure, you know, to in personal enjoyment. God said, I've given you all things freely to enjoy, and I don't think he was stuttering when he said it. So we have personal possessions that are to be used. I'm not talking about are you, this morning, are you using your personal possessions correctly? That is not the sermon this morning at all. That's a whole different sermon and a whole different uh, direction and a whole different principle. So we're not talking about are you using your possessions correctly? That's not it. This is, do I have a right to have personal possessions? And do I have a right to demand that, yes, this is mine and it's not yours? The answer is, biblically, yes. One more thing before I go on to the main part of the sermon. This command, like many of the others, is an offshoot from the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. See, if you steal or rob or pilfer or whatever else you do, uh, you are not being satisfied with what you have and you want more that doesn't belong to you. Covetousness is this. It is marked by an inordinate and insatiable desire for someone else's wealth, possessions, or position. And that can be across the board. Somebody could have a quote, a really nifty quote, and you Make it your, try to make it your own. You've actually, there's nothing wrong with using that quote. It's just you need to make sure that you give credit where credit is due. And so covetousness is, I want for me more than what is me. And that lands up being, thou shalt not steal. So, one thing we need to put out there right away. Many people... And they have this idea, we'll, we'll see this as we go through, that, well, other people have more than I do, and I don't have enough. I don't think I have enough, so it's okay for me to take from somebody else. Shoplifting fits that one. We'll talk about that one later. But the point is, Abraham, Jake, uh, Job, and Solomon, three of the richest people probably in history... Uh, I'm not sure if Bill Gates and a few others uh, who are billion billionaires uh, had more in relative terms than these guys, but they were rich. Take Abraham, for example. It says that he was very rich in livestock, silver, gold, and he just was a rich guy. Here's, I'll tell you how rich he was. He could support a 318-person ar- uh, army. They literally went out and fought against kings and won. He was not a king. He was just a very wealthy man. And he had lots and lots of uh, possessions. And not only did he have livestock, but he had lots of silver and lots of gold. And so he was a very rich man. And... Uh, in some cases, with his men, 
he actually went out and brought justice. Then there's Job. It says Job was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning from evil. But it also says that he was the greatest among the greatest men in the East. Great means he had great character. We just saw that one. But he was also great in that he was rich. Here's what Job owned. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, which means that's 1,000 oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and that means he had male donkeys also. And he had lots of servants. And you know what happened. Satan came along and said, well, you're favoring uh, Job, uh, but if you remove your hedge and let me get at him, uh, you know, he'll curse you and he'll, he'll just go the other way. So you're protecting him, God, and that's, that's not right. So God said to Satan, go ahead. You can do anything you want except you can't take his life and that kind of thing. So, uh, well, you know the story. And you go, okay, he was rich and, yeah, he lost everything. But those numbers are not the right numbers. Because by the time you get to the end of the book of Job, you take every one of those numbers and double it. Because God allowed Satan to take these things away, including his servants and his children. By the way, he didn't get double children because the others are already in heaven. Uh, uh, But he was given double of everything else. So he had 14,000 sheep. And it looked really bad for him. But nobody ever said to Job, Job, you have to give it all away. Or you don't deserve this. They didn't say that to Abraham either. Then there's Solomon. Solomon, you read this in 1 Kings chapter 10 and and in and around there. You will find that it says that silver was as plentiful as the stones in Israel. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, Israel is rocks everywhere. He's saying silver was that plentiful. Fact is, it wasn't even considered valuable. Think about that. Silver wasn't even considered a valuable metal or a precious metal. Solomon, when he ate and drank, and those servants with him ate and drank, pure gold. No stainless steel flatware. No silverware. It was gold. Yeah, this guy had it all. And not only that, he was in charge of 40,000 horses and 12,000 um, horsemen. These are soldiers. He's the king. He, he, he's king. He can pretty much decide what he wants to do. And so he just has basically whatever he wants. Now, I'm not going to tell you Solomon did everything right with what he had. That's a different sermon. But nobody said, hey, Solomon, it's okay if people pilfer you or they steal from you. Nobody ever said that. Why? Because the right to personal property is biblical. Just If you don't believe that, then everything else in this sermon doesn't mean a thing. So what about stealing? What is stealing? There are four, uh, four I can't even get four up, four definitions for, or four words with definitions that are slightly tweaked in the Old Testament. Only one in the New Testament. But stealing is not determined by how much the victim has or how little you steal. It has nothing to do with that. It's the principle of the thing. And as I already said, coveting is normally at the bottom of the whole thing. 
And if you take all the words from the, the uh, Bible or any dictionary you want to look up, there are several things that go and carry across all of those words. It means to carry away. You're carrying away something that's not yours. You're taking something. If you want one word that uh, puts a synopsis on that, it would be take away. To rob which means you do it by force, to seize something. You grab it and you try to make it yours or you snatch it away. So I don't think we have to go into a long definition of stealing. But what I'd like to do is look at the different types of steal. Not all of these are found in the Bible, but we have given tags to various types of stealing um, in the English language, I'll look at them very quickly, but they're uh, there. For example, after the first service, my wife came up to me and said, you know, you forgot something in robbery. Then when she does that, my antenna go, okay, what did I do wrong now? She says, you forgot looting. Think about that over the past year. The looting that's taken place? Hey, people taking stuff that they shouldn't. Then after the second service, somebody comes up to me and said, hey, you forgot one, insurance fraud. I'm like, man, oh man, no wonder. My, my pages would have been more than 24 if I would have got them all. But anyway, each sermon gets a little longer and hopefully better. I, I hope it gets better, but I hope it doesn't get worse. But you know what? Robbery usually includes fear, force, or a threat of some sort. Uh, to obtain the other person's property. It doesn't quite always require that, but it's in that direction uh, most of the time. Looting would fit in there, for example. But um, let's look at several examples from the Bible about this whole concept of robbery. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 23. For the Lord will plead their case. There is the victim's case, the one who's been robbed. And take the life of those who rob them. We set the standard with this verse. As I said before, the Ten Commandments, except for the last one, which you cannot put in um, something solid, but it will make you do one of the others, like covet will make you steal or rob, uh, but they all have a death penalty. He says here, you know what? The Lord will plead the case of the victim. You steal from somebody, God's on their side. I don't care if you think they have too much or not. I don't care if you think that store is rich as all get out and you can uh, shoplift. It, 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 it doesn't matter. He says, and I will take the life of those who rob. So God sets it up and says, this is what I see about stealing. This is my view of stealing. The second one, I hesitated to put it right up front in the sermon, but, you know, it fits. Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Some of you already know where I'm going. Here's what it says. Will a man rob God? Woo! I thought you were talking about robbing your neighbor or, you know, a store or whatever. No. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Lord's response, in tithes and offerings. 
You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Remember, this is about Israel. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing which overflows. Now, we do not live in a theocracy. We don't live under the law. We don't live in the Old Testament. But the principle is true. God created it all. He makes it very clear he owns it all. And he also made it very clear that we as an act of worship and they as an act of worship and uh, in deference to God, give back to him a portion. If you go into the Old Testament, when you put together tithes, offerings, and sacrifices and everything... Together, it comes out somewhere, I can't figure out exactly, but somewhere between 30 and 40% of what comes into your, your, your life. I, that includes basically what we call taxes also. But he says, you know what? You are withholding from God what is rightfully his. Now, you're not doing that one by force. It's actually a different word for robbery there. But we're keeping for ourselves what belongs to him. He said, that tithe belongs to me. Those offerings belong to me. Those sacrifices belong to me. And you're not doing them. Wow. In the New Testament, we don't have that principle. We have the principle of proportionate giving. Here's how it says it. It, You can translate it two different ways. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first three verses. It says, as God has prospered you, or it can be translated, as you have prospered. It's just the way it's written in Greek. You can do it both ways. Both ways are absolutely legit. Because if you prosper, God made that possible. Uh, And if you're prospering, you're probably going to bring it in because you're prospering. If God prospers you, I'm sorry. Uh, But the point is, the more God has given, the more we give to him. That's proportionate giving. From the heart, we give. New Testament. It's not the law, but we give willingly, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We can rob God. Wow. You thought we're going to talk about the bad guys with guns and holding up a 7-Eleven. No, this is a broad subject and brings stability to any society, any group of people. Proverbs twenty two twenty two. do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted in the gate. He says, if you take advantage of people because of who they are, you're robbing them. You didn't ever get a gun out. You just aren't treating them right. Wow. Boy, this could stomp on toes really quick. How about Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13? You shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Back then, you didn't get a paycheck uh, once a month or every two weeks or once a week. You paid your workers every day. And he says here, you are robbing your hired person if you don't pay him at the end of the day. You're robbing him. You owe it to him. And uh, you need to pay him. If not, you are stealing from him. He goes on in Proverbs 28, verse 
24, he who robs his father or his mother and says, it's not a transgression, is the companion of a man who destroys. In the New Testament, they were saying, well, we've dedicated our wealth to the Lord and we can't help our parents. Remember, we talked about that, honor your mother and father. He says, here's the concept. You cannot say if you're not helping your parents or Somebody in family could be um, and say, well, it's not wrong. No, no. He says, you're a companion with the man who destroys. We have responsibilities to use what God has given us. And if we don't, in one way or the other, we are robbing one uh, that. Ezekiel 18.12 even goes further. If you oppress the poor and the needy, you commit adultery. Adultery. I can't believe I said that. Commit robbery. Robbery. Okay, I don't know where I got that from, but anyway. I guess commit adultery from the last sermon. I don't know where. Moving on. Okay. I'm getting old. It's time for me to retire. I can't even talk right. Anyway, but if we oppress the poor and the needy, he says you commit robbery. Think about that. He's saying it's not just that you did something overt. You just didn't do what you should have done. You took advantage of someone. One last one. Malachi chapter 1 verse 13. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? One more thing about robbery. He said, if you got something illegitimately, whatever, you stole it in some way, shape, or form, and then you bring it and say, oh, well, I did that, but I'm going to bring it and I'm going to offer it to the Lord. He says, don't want it. Now, I'm not, I'll talk about gambling when we get to the 10th commandment. But I've had people literally come up to me and say, you know what? I played the lottery. I'm like, oh, are you sure that's good? Oh, you have to understand, Pastor Paul, if, if I play the lottery and I win big, man, the church is going to benefit big time. I have never seen one of those yet, by the way. And I also have all told every one of them, uh, we don't need your money. You go, are you crazy in the head? Uh, I know what the principles are. God doesn't want something gotten by illicit gain, no matter what it is. So if you're pilfering from your boss and, and you're saying, well, I'm going to give it to the church, uh, you can keep it. Actually, better yet, you need to give it back and make restitution. But anyhow, we're, we're not going to preach on that this morning. The second one is a thief. That's the common word for steal. It takes property by stealth. You're not forcing someone. You're not threatening them or pointing a gun at them or in any way forcing them to give turn something over. You take it opportunistically or by trickery. Think about this. Most thieves do not break into a house. That's a different, that's burglary. But they don't get into a house uh, when the person is home. They stake the house out. They try to find out what your pattern of life is. And they figure out when you're not home. And then they go in. You know why? Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They don't, they want to get it. They want to sneak it from you. 
by, by trickery. They want to get it and get out and not get injured. That's why any law enforcement officer or safety officer will say, hey, put up night lights, put a ring camera on your door, put a burglary system on your, your windows or whatever else, to, because thieves don't want to be caught. They don't even want you to know they're doing it. It's pretty freaky when you come home and you find somebody's been in your house and they've stolen stuff. It's happened to me, so I know it's unsettling. Um, it happened a long time ago. Uh, even they crawled up the front of the balcony of our house to get in. Uh, you, you name it. But anyhow, point is, it is trying to sneak it. That's the normal. In fact, is, and we're going to come back to John chapter 10 again, but we're going to look at John chapter 10 uh, in this. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way. He is a thief and a robber. Okay, if you don't know what that means, in Israel, in biblical times, they would take the rocks, remember, they're plentiful, they would build the corral. And that corral was probably round, it could have been a little bit square, but there was one spot in the wall that was approximately six feet wide. That's where the sheep went in and out, and that was the door of the sheep. There was no gate there. The gate was the shepherd sleeping across the opening. You want to get in? You've got to go over to the shepherd. Unless you're a thief. Then you could crawl over the wall. He says, you're, if you crawl over the wall, you come in any other way but where the shepherd is... You're a thief or a robber. Robber, by the way, would be if the shepherd wakes up and finds you doing it, now force may be involved. So both of them are there. But uh, he makes it clear. You know what? You don't belong there. And uh, you are a thief or a robber if you're coming in other than by the door. For us as believers... Peter makes something very clear in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He said, if you suffer persecution because of the name of Christ, because of your ministry, because you're doing something good in the name of the Lord, he said, you just praise the Lord because that's a good thing. They're persecuting you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. He puts murder and troublesome meddler in there all in the same sentence, but right smack in the middle he says a thief. He said our, our testimony, our character should be above reproach. Then he does finish, and I want to finish with this. And if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. Notice that. You can be suffering because you're doing what is right. He says, glory in that. That's, you know, that's a good thing. Don't be ashamed. On the other hand, if you're suffering because you did wrong, and I've had people in counseling already, it's like, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not being persecuted. You're sinning, and you're getting the results of your sin. That's what he's dealing with here. So thief is a part of that. 
The third thing that I want to look at is burglary. I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, there are examples in the Bible. I already used the one from the other week. Uh, but that's basically what we call breaking and entering, that you're going into somebody else's abode um, where you do not belong, period. And uh, you may uh, or may not use force, and you may or may not take anything, but you're in there for a purpose. You don't belong there. And then the next one is embezzlement or pilfering or misappropriation of funds. Um, this is the one where... Um, you go, what is pilfering? Pilfering is when you think you can do just a little bit and get away with it. The problem is you never get away with it because eventually the accountant goes, hold it a second. For the last few years, we're, something's coming up short and then all of a sudden it comes out. But you take just so little that you think no one will notice. Embezzlement or misappropriation is a much bigger part and that is the misuse of the trust that someone has placed in you. I'll take you to the New Testament. I'll do a real quick overview of Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we call it the unjust servant or the shrewd manager or whatever you want to call that parable. Parable. I'm not going to do the whole thing. And by the way, the end result of what happens here is not what you are to practice. We already saw that uh, our character and testimony is important. But this guy... Um, works for a rich man. He has been entrusted with the rich man's uh, goods, and he squanders them. It seems like he took them and made some really bad investments, or he sold things without getting paid for it. We don't know exactly. It doesn't really matter. But here he is not being careful with what is not his. And so they... The rich man hears about it, calls him in, says, you're fired. You're no longer my manager. You've lost your job. So he goes out and he goes to to himself. I'm too weak to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. So what does he do? He goes to the creditors, uh, the, the people he had issued credit to and said, hey, take out your bill and well, what, what do you owe my master? A hundred. Uh, cross that out and put in 50. Goes to another one. Hey, what do you owe? A uh, hundred. Cross that out and put 80. Now, I'm not telling you to do this because this is a good thing to do. Because you need to read the whole story because it's not good. But he says, you know, he was shrewd. Because when it was over, he lost his job. He has no place to go and he has no means of income. He said, at least if I make good on this and, and they pay back some to my, my employer, at least these guys, I'll be in good graces with them and maybe they'll take me in and help me out. Point is, he misappropriated what was entrusted to him. And that is just another form of thievery or stealing. There's also kidnapping. You might have never thought about that before, but kidnapping is simply stealing a person. It's very clear if a man is caught, this Deuteronomy 24-7, by the way, if a man is caught kidnapping any of his fellow countrymen of the sons of Israel, and he deals with them violently or sells them, that thief will die. You shall purge evil from among you. Again, He says, this guy's a thief. 
Slavery in the United States was a horrible, horrible thing. But I also know it didn't start because a, a slave owner in South didn't go over to Africa and get slaves. No, they stole each other and sold them. I mean, you name it, the whole thing is a mess. But stealing a person, kidnapping, is stealing. But stealing a real person, a breathing, living person. Some of you have seen the play or maybe you've seen the movie Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Some of you have seen that. Kind of a fun thing to watch. Uh, But if you notice, they quote Bible in there. Because they're quoting from Judges chapter 21, where the Benjamites had lost all their wives, um, and they were about to get wiped out. So what do they do? They go kidnap women while they're at a festival. Doesn't make it right, but that's what they did. It is kidnapping right up front. What about cheating? Whoops, I went too far. What about cheating? Cheating is fraud. You are taking something immaterial at this point, that is not yours and pretending or using it as if it is yours. For example, it could be somebody else's um, answers on the test. You didn't study for it. You didn't know the answer, but somebody else did. So you're using that and putting it down as your answer. It can be an idea. Uh, And this happens in businesses. It's a horrible place to be, and that morale goes downhill fast. Is an employee comes up with a really good idea to save money or to do something better, and they bring it to the boss. And uh, they're all happy because, man, I, I really did something good. Next thing they turn around, the boss is taking that idea and saying, I came up with it. You want to find out how to get morale down the tubes, right there you got it. But that's cheating. It's fraudulent. It's plagiarism. Nothing wrong with learning from other people. Nothing wrong with quoting other people. Nothing wrong with using what other people have written or said or whatever. But if you make it your own, tell somebody else. I've heard the stories of pastors who took somebody else's story, really neat story of something, and made it their own. And somebody in the audience knew that it was a lie. And they lost their job over it. Because they said, well, I did this, and this is what happened, and they go down, it was the exact story, and it wasn't theirs. It's plagiarism. Plagiarism is stealing. You know, can you grab, grab it in your hand? The answer is no. But it's still stealing the intellectual property, ideas, theories, or writings of somebody else. Shoplifting. A lot of people look at it and they're pretending to be a customer and uh, they're taking what doesn't belong to them. The idea is, well, this is a big company and they'll never miss this. The answer is it's a big company and they may never miss it. It's still wrong because you're taking something that doesn't belong to you. Remember Job and Abraham and Solomon? How about pickpocket? That's usually a scam uh, thing. There's more than one person involved. Uh, Somebody distracts and the other one is. I don't see any in the Bible, but it's just another form of stealing. A couple more to look at. The lack of respect for another person. I've already read a couple of uh, passages that deal with this. But this comes down to not being responsible for something someone has entrusted to you. Not respecting the other person for who they are and taking advantage of them and oppressing them. 
borrowing something and not returning it. Borrowing something and breaking it and not offering to fix it. Whatever it is, the Bible says, you've just ripped somebody off. That is simply not right. As I already said from Ezekiel eighteen twelve, uh, if you oppress the poor and the needy, you commit robbery. He also goes on to say, you know, if someone finds something and doesn't return it, that's stealing. Now, you may never find the owner. I know I've had this happen. Um, I can't even remember what it was anymore, but I found something, took it to the police station, and it's like, okay, they'll keep it there for, I don't know if it's 30 days or 60 days or something like that. They keep it, and if nobody claims it, you can come and claim it if you want to. But you've attempted to give it back. If you don't attempt to give that back, you're stealing. You know, you're taking something of value that belonged to somebody else, and they lost it or they misplaced it or whatever else, we have an obligation. As I said when I started, this is a big subject, and it it covers a lot of territory. But even if somebody entrusted something to you, you have a responsibility to be responsible with it, to use it properly, and to give it back. Uh, I'm not going to quote all those. I'm running out of time. One last thing. The whole idea of coveting, I've mentioned that before, but it's simply something of a mindset that, you know what, I'm going to do what I want. How do you you grab a hold of a, a press? Remember it says, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. How, how, do, how do you oppress? You, you can't see that. You can't put it in your hand. But it's, I'm going to do my own thing. It's totally, as most sin is, totally selfish and self-centered. And so coveting can come out in numerous different ways. But we need to look at the conclusions in the last few minutes. First of all, it's okay to resist someone who's stealing. Remember, you have the right to private property. That's where stealing comes in. In Luke chapter 12, verse 39, it says this, But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. We call that breaking and entering or burglary. But he says, hey, if this guy knew what was going to happen, he has the right to protect his personal property. Please do not leave here and go if somebody is stealing something, I have the right to shoot them. Please don't do that. Uh, If you can identify them, you already saw from Exodus that, um, you know, you identify the person and let the law take care of it. But in the middle of the night where you don't know who it is and you don't know what, is it burglary? Is it murder? Is it stealing? We don't know. Uh, That's a different story. But you do have a right to protect your personal property. On the other hand, the flip side of that coin, mercy is also indicated. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 30 and 31 indicate this. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. Desperate people make desperate choices. I say it all the time in counseling. Don't make choices under stress. But if somebody is hungry and they steal, still wrong, I know the next verse, but show mercy. You know what? 
Maybe you need to turn around and help that person. But it also says when he has found, he must repay sevenfold of whatever he has. So, still wrong. But let's face it. All of us have been tempted. And all of us have probably done some really foolish things when it comes to this whole subject of stealing. We would expect mercy. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Be careful. Judgmental, legalistic. It's, I mean, obviously, this, you heard what it, what it says. It's bad. It's sin. It's wrong. But there's also always a place for grace and mercy and, and just helping somebody. Restitution may be necessary. If somebody steals something, and, and uh, we could look at this, Leviticus chapter 6 is a real good illustration of that. He says, if you've stole something either by uh, keeping a deposit, by robbing somebody, by extorting, you kept what was lost and didn't give it back, you are to restore it. So you give back what you took. And then you add something. A number of years ago, I had, um, it was a Sunday afternoon, and somebody bailed me out for Sunday evening, but uh, I got a phone call from somebody from church, and they said, there's a lady here that's in distress. And she shoplifted. And uh, her conscience is just ripping her apart. Can you talk to her? So I did. And uh, by the time it was done, I said, here's, here's, here's the deal. I know if you confess things, it usually works out pretty good. So I said, you need to make a decision. What are you going to do? She told me the store, and she told me what she got. Uh, she had thrown this. She had, her conscience was so bad, I think she had thrown it in a dumpster someplace. Anyway, I said, I told my wife, I got somebody to fill in Sunday night. And she went in my car. We went back to the store, went in. <laughs> the manager wasn't there, but the assistant manager is there. She went back, talked to the guy, and he goes, well, if you pay for it, we didn't even know it. Our cameras weren't on. We didn't have cameras. I forget what it was. We didn't even know it. But she did the right thing. You know what? She was a completely different person after that. Why? Because she... Re- made restitution, gave back what was needed. But here's the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't simply say if you're a thief, you give back what you stole and maybe a fifth more, like it says in the Old Testament. But here's what it says. And if you catch this, you'll understand the New Testament, higher level thinking, the higher law that we live under. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. You probably know the verse. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Do you see what that says? This is my community service verse. We do community service here at the church all the time. Most of you don't know that, but uh, we do it just from the office. But it's somebody who's done something Sometimes it's stealing, sometimes it's other things, but it's to give back. Not only just restore what you took, but go beyond and help somebody else. You see, as believers, we are not to be takers, that's stealing. 
We are to be givers. And how do I know that's a good principle? We're back to John chapter 10 to close the sermon. You always got to end with Jesus, right? Because he's the one that fulfilled the law. He's the one we look to. He's our example. Chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. We already went over that. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, referring to Satan himself, the thief comes not comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, our testimony, our character, our reputation should be one of not covetousness, not selfish and self-centered taking, but it should be exactly what Christ has done for us. That we reach out and help other people, starting with the gospel. He laid down his life for the sheep. Satan is the one that's the murderer and the liar and the thief. We should have nothing to do with that kind of thing. But we should be the ones that look around and say, how can I help? Not what can I take and get away with it, but how can I help somebody else that has a need? Wow. This subject's big. That's why I said it brings stability to any group of people. A country, a church, a community, a family. I know people that steal from their own relatives. It's horrible. Usually drugs involved in those things. Point is, you want stability? You need to be the one who's not taking, but giving. That's our challenge. It's a hard one. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, thank you so much that you're God that has given us everything. We have no lack because you have supplied all of our needs. And I pray that as we go out of here, that we would see that we should be looking for ways to help other people. Lord, you've been merciful to us in so many ways. There's no reason that we cannot be merciful to others that we cannot be givers instead of takers, and especially that we would give the gospel and not keep it to ourselves, because I think that's almost robbery itself, even though the Bible doesn't say it, is if we know the truth and don't give it, uh, we're selfish. We're self-centered. We don't care about others. Lord, help us to look around us and be the one that gives. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.